Well, good morning, Radiant Church. Uh, good to be with you. And uh, today is week four in our series, uh, Radiant God, Grasping His Greatness. Uh, our God is the eternal, triune, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, and today, all-powerful God. Uh, we've been grabbing these handfuls of who our Lord is, and uh, it's been an interesting four weeks for me. Uh, this last week, I shared with our small group that uh, how I'm actually ending up preaching this series is quite different from what I thought going into this series. Um, I really expected to kind of go into this series uh, teaching it how, um, and rightfully so, teaching it how I had kind of always heard it taught, uh, relating to who God is, if you want to use the word attributes, uh, who our God is, and, uh, and also even decades past how I've taught it, but um, definition, components of who God is, but um, it's just during the week uh, the Lord's been doing work in me that uh, is uh, not having that happen so much. If I can say it this way, just kind of between me and you in the process of newer here getting to know me, uh, I'm not a great uh, professor preacher. Uh, I'm not a, a great um, apologist, uh, apologetics preacher. Uh, I'm not a great uh, philosophy preacher. There are those that God has gifted with that are tremendous, tremendous at doing all of those or any of those and grateful for those who are able to do that. I'm, I'm just not, that's not my strength. Uh, that's not kind of how I'm wired. I am a First Thessalonians 2.8 kind of guy. And First uh, Thessalonians 2.8, we loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well because you'd become so dear to us. That's how Paul did ministry. I would suggest that's how Jesus did ministry. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, that's the way, therefore I do it. I'm just wired that way. And so just kind of in this series, what's happened is what I thought going into it would be with more definitions and components. And even today, God is all powerful. He's all powerful in salvation. He's all powerful in, in winning the victory against sin. I mean, I kind of went into it thinking that. And, and yet, uh, I'll tell you here in a little bit, it, it's turned a corner. And instead, I really just kind of want to share what God's been doing in me over this last week with the subject of the power of who God is. So um, let's do that together, okay? And Lord, help us, right? Lord, help us to uh, see who you are. And I pray that we walk out seeing him bigger and his almightiness than when we came in right now. So if you would, uh, would you uh, turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter one? And I wanna begin with our all-powerful God is uh, almighty. Um, if you see the picture on the screen, um, that is the Grand Canyon, if it's not in Indiana. Um, if you didn't figure that out yet, uh, I put that on the screen because they're just, we're enamored by power. And uh, this is one place for me over the last five years, I've been now a couple times, and it's just like, man, I just, uh, if you were like to ask me where, where to go for two days and where just to sit and even not talk and just be, uh, that's where and uh, in the Grand Canyon, and just seeing the expanse of it. We're we just enamored by power. Uh, we're impressed by power. We seek power. I, I would even suggest we lust for power. And, and if you're thinking in that, that it's like, oh, well, not really me, uh, not so much me. I might suggest um, maybe reconsider your almightiness there in, in your thinking about that. Uh, I think we all do. In fact, I would kind of term it this way. We daily, in fact, I'd say we hourly struggle with wanting to be in control. 
We, we hourly and daily struggle to want to convince people to things to happen our way or to change things. I might even say at times we, since I'm on kind of seas there, I might even say at times we, we, we have a tendency to even just want to be the one who can crush things at certain times and uh, individuals in our world at certain times. Uh, there's a thing about power and humanity that goes on. Uh, we compare power, who has the most power, what countries have the most power, who has the most bombs, who has the most this, who has the most that. And we measure power. I wrote down some examples of measuring power. Uh, we measure the power of a computer uh, by its processor, by its memory capacity. We, me we measure internet speed and how fast it is. We measure nature, uh, power of nature, storms. We measure tornadoes and earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis. Uh, we measure engines, Ugh. You know, horsepower and torque and thrust and so forth with rockets and engines. We, me we measure the power of electricity. There's watts and kilowatts and megawatts and gigawatts and then the next apparently is terawatts and whatever kind of watts. We, we measure them uh, up. Uh, we measure wealth. What's your total net worth? When it really comes down to bottom line, we measure wealth. There are millionaires and billionaires and maybe we might go and zero heirs uh, uh, in that, but we measure, we measure wealth. We measure fame. There are A-listers and non-A-listers, even in the Hollywood world of that. Uh, I would even suggest we, we kind of in our own little quiet hearts, and you don't have to answer this. This is probably talking about the person next to you and not you. Uh, we, we measure our fame by number of followers and likes. Yeah, yeah, we all know. We measure power by position, manager, director, uh, vice president, president, CEO, congressman, congresswoman, senator, mom, uh, <laughs> power, positions. Uh, we measure by physical strength. What can you bench press? We compare that. It used to be back in the day, can you tear a phone book? A lot of you are like, what is a phone book? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, with that. Um, and the last one is interesting, reading Jen Wilkins' book, and she was making mention that we measure the power of beauty in our DNA. Uh, she, he's a 10 out of 10. Um, also with that, I didn't even realize that, but there are calculated beauty ratios. Uh, mathematicians have put together, you can calculate person's beauty by certain ratio components on their face with that. And so with that, let's kind of face it, power's a big deal to us. And power does matter, and it's important. And yet in it, there's also a power struggle in our spiritual lives as well. Every day, all the time, we have this wrestle that's going on. We have a, a wrestle with the Lord, and kind of a power struggle with the Lord. We'll, we'll be referencing that today. There's even a power struggle going on with, with uh, evil and wickedness in our own hearts with, with what goes on. So today, what I really want to do is help us think rightly about power not our power, but I want us to think rightly about God's power and the fact that he is all-powerful. So where do we go to be able to do that? Well, I've already told you to go to Genesis 1, but here's why I'm going where I'm going, and here's really what oriented today's time, the way we're doing it. My favorite word or statement, phrase, referring to this subject in Scripture is the Almighty or God Almighty. I mean, it means all power. God is almighty, and when you see that term and you 
you do that if you do a blue letter uh, dot com or blueletterbible.com or whatever you might do, put that in there, you'll find out that there's right around 58 times that term is used in most uh, uh, Bible translations. New International Version actually has over 300 times where that is used, but that's because with that they made the decision to kind of, anytime Adonai and Yahweh are together, they use Almighty, uh, God Almighty, Lord Almighty in there, and uh, so that kind of is an anomaly. But let's just say there's 58 times where the term the title, the description of God as the Almighty One takes place. Out of those, 55, out of those 58 times, 55%, over half of the time that those terms are used, are used in one book of the Bible, over half of them. It's used in the book of Job. How interesting. The book of Job, a book that talks about suffering. And yet, we're going to go there in a bit. Um, the Almighty is all through it. The next two that have the, take the next 20% of all the times the word Almighty, God Almighty is used in the scripture is Genesis and Revelation. How interesting. The beginning refers to God Almighty. The end makes heavy use of God Almighty. And if I could say the middle and life suffering makes reference to God Almighty. So we're going to dip our toes into each of those, okay? That, that's why I'm going to where we're going today, and I want for us to, uh, Lord willing, walk away a bit like Job today, stunned by the power of our God. So Genesis 1, you're there. Um, let me note verses 1 through 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Who, who created the heavens and the earth? God did. The earth was without form and void, verse 2, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Verse 3, here's the killer. That sounds bad, it's starting out creation, but uh, here's just a, a killer statement. And God said, what did he say? He said, let there be light, and what happened? And there was light. Uh, prior to being in uh, full-time vocational ministry, for about 20 years, uh, I was in business and worked with my brother in, in our business, and we manufactured medical devices. And so for about 20 years of my life, I was involved kind of on the R&D side of that and developing, inventing medical devices that are used uh, for various purposes. And in that, um, I loved the whole R&D phase. I loved the development. I loved the creativity phase of all that. And, 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 and in that, uh, any inventor, if you will, any designer, uh, you go through a process of it. You go through first the idea, and you have to work the idea out, and, and you draw it, if that's applicable to what you're working on, and, and you write out, and, and then you have phases of, of you make a, a prototype, and then, and then you realize everything that's good and everything that's really bad about that, and then you do another one, and another one, and another one, and then you do version 10, and version 20, and version 25, and, and oftentimes for myself back in that day, it was a year, year and a half of product development process uh, to get a device together, and, and so in that process, you've got all this whole museum of scrap that has built up on paper or, or, or in metal componentry of things that, that have taken place of. And I just think of like all the great inventors over time, like I noted some down, Archimedes and Da Vinci and Galileo, Edison, Alexander Graham Bell, um, Ben Franklin, Henry Ford, um, Mar uh, Marie Curie, Tesla, Newton, James Watt, Pasteur, uh, Wright Brothers, even in recent decades, 
uh, one you may not know, Roger Easton, but you know every day because he was kind of the guy who got GPS rolling that we all use, use nowadays. And then Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Sam Walton, Jeff Bezos. Here's two others one I really like. They're kind of out of the, out of the framework. Gary Dahl, he invented the pet rock back in 1975. What a brainiac idea. I mean, the box costs more than the thing you're selling in that uh, pet rock. Also, uh, Arthur Fry, he was the, kind, he was the guy who kind of came up originally at 3M with the post-it note. I love post-it notes, man. And I just look at those and it's like, why didn't I think of that? It's just a piece of paper that sticks. <laughs> What's my point? God did not go through any of the processes any of the, these designers went through in it. In fact, we see here power displayed by God from the fact that the power displayed by God is God said it and it was. Blows my mind that that is the fact. Who does that? God had no drawings in a cabinet. He had no uh, prototypes of, of, of universes that didn't work out and now he's on this other version. No, God just spoke light, and there was light. We are still to this day as humans trying to figure out and, and even define light, even the arguments is like particle, is it wave, blah, 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 blah. Even our whole logo is a church, radiant, uh, comes from a light particle. And in, in this, it's, it's the type of thing where you go, God said it, and it was. Go to verse six, and God said End of verse 7, and it was so. Verse 9, God said, end of the verse, and it was so. Verse 11, and God said, end of verse 11, and it was so. Verse 14, and God said, end of verse 15, and it was so. 20, you getting the picture? 20, and God said, verse 21, so God created Verse 24, and God said, and it was so. Verse 26, then God said, beginning of verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. I don't think we can even begin to fathom that. To just speak it, and it is. Not as God, not as power displayed. Let's go from the beginning to the end. Turn to Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I just want to stop there for a moment because of a display of the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ. Pick up verses 1 through 4. Revelation 1. It says, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, verse five, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the what? The Almighty. Power statement, verse 17. And here John, this is John the Apostle, when I saw him, the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, John walked with Christ, he knew Christ, he saw Christ crucified, he saw Christ risen from the dead, this is that same John, I would think that when he saw him, he would run up and hug him, he would run up and give him a high five, he would just, it would just be that kind of a thing, but look what happens, even one who redeemed in Christ, when he sees the resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. How interesting is that? Even one who is redeemed in Christ, when they see the Savior, it is so magnificent, it is so beyond, it is so out of our ability to comprehend the glory and the magnitude and the power that he even falls to his face as though dead. And then here's the one who is so great, but he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I'm the first and the last living when I died and behold, I am alive forevermore and I have the keys of death and Hades. Friends, that is a power statement and not a power statement to crush the one that is his, but a power statement, right hand of authority on John's shoulder as he's face down, shaking in his boots in the presence of our God, and he is the one, the glorious, powerful one reassures him and loves on him. John, I'm the guy, and it's okay. I got you. Turn to Revelation 19. I might say that's kind of Revelation 1 is the sweetness of the power of Christ. Here we see the culmination of all things as far as then leading into the eternal state. Revelation 19, let me read verses 1 through 6. After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For his judgments are true and just. That makes a big difference for what's going on in the final times. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! And the smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Verse 4, And the 24 elders, the presbyteros, and the four living creatures fell down, worshiped God who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen! Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God! God, all you servants, you who fear him, small and great. And then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Friends, I'm telling you, that's power. You want to be enamored with power, be enamored with this power. Look at verse 11. And then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. 
And the one sitting on it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. And he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood in the name by which he is called the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. Verse 15, from his mouth comes a, a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords power. Power displayed and power even written on him. Chapter 21, verses 1 and 2. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first earth and the first, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for Dorn for her husband. Why do I bring that up? Because I wonder if in this new earth and new heaven, I don't know for sure, but it wouldn't surprise me at all, if God could speak it in the beginning, why doesn't he just speak it now? In other words, he doesn't have to go and like take down buildings and take out things and go, go get you know, John Deere and Caterpillar equipment and go through the work of it all and rebuilding and making it new like we would make it new or we would revise something. Here, why isn't it that God, in the end, the one who just spoke it and it was, and here now at this point in time, the power just to go, all things new! Now with computer graphics, you can just see it, can't you? We can just see it in our mind now. And God just speaking it and making all things new. Wow. And then verse 22, chapter 21, and I saw no temple in the city, in the new Jerusalem, in the new heaven, and the new earth, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. Verse 23, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Wait, what's going on here? In the eternal state, in the new heaven, in the new earth, what's lighting it all up? There's no need for a sun anymore, S-U-N anymore. There's no need for that anymore. Why? Because the Lord Jesus Christ, the resurrected, magnified, glorified Jesus Christ, lights it up. How does that happen? I have no idea. But I believe the text. I mean, talking about power displayed, for eternity, the power is going to be displayed. God's so cool. So crazy, powerfully, awesomely, blow our minds away if we would just sit in it long enough. Cool. In the beginning, power. In the end, power. And then I want us to go to Job. Turn there, please, middle of your Bible. Power conveyed. Power conveyed. 
55% of all uses of the term the Almighty, God Almighty, is contained within this one book. So interesting to me. Job 38. I love the book of Job. Um, That may sound odd if you know the book of Job, but the theology that it pushes on us and the grandness that it pushes on is a stunning, stunning book. I'd love to take us to Job chapter 1 and just kind of lay out what I might in, in this sermon lay out as kind of power played in this whole thing that's taking place. And God's sovereignty, if you don't know the story, uh, Satan is allowed to come before the Lord and, and then this dialogue takes place and God allows Satan to have after Job. We're not in the attribute of, uh, of who God is with God's sovereignty at this point, so I'm not going to go into it. We will more later, but, but God in his sovereignty gives Satan the permission to have it. Job, and know this, Satan does. And uh, Satan has no love, no grace, no kindness. He'll do everything and anything he can to crush, and so he does. He unleashes on his children, and his children die. He unleashes on his business and his, his tycoon dynasty, and all of his servants, his employees die. He loses everything. And, and then you kind of have what I might call from beginning of the chapters to through the middle, you kind of have this power tirade that's going on between Job and the friends who, they, they, they were the most loving when they just were with them and didn't talk at all. And then once they started talking and things got a little bit bad theology going. And, but we get to see this, and, and friends, we, you and I wrestle through this kind of stuff in life. Why is there suffering in life? But that's going on, and, and Job, uh, I think, is, is, is in God's sovereignty, is God is actually allowing Job to be a living testimony to Satan himself in this. Satan, you want to see what it looks like to be someone who lives faithfully? Here you go. Because why? Because Satan didn't want to. And so Job, does not knowing all this, Job's family and business dynasty is taken out, and all this takes place, and By the time we get to Job 38, I might kind of summarize it right here at this point in time that Job's kind of at a place to where he's like, you know what, what my wife said in chapter two that Job, maybe you should just curse God and die. I'm kind of on that train right now. Maybe I should just curse God and die. And so what does the Lord do to someone at this point? He shows up. And I want to pick up and I want to just read a few spots and, and, and summarize through the text I think Job chapter 30 through 41 are an absolute conveying by God of his power. Let's see that. Power conveyed by God. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. I kind of like that, man. That so summarizes all the prior 37 chapters. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Dress for action like a man. Some of the translations say, gird your loins up. (laughs) I like that. Job, it's time to gird your loins up. Dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Here's what's stunning to me in this. 
What's so stunning to me in this is Job has just been devastated. Job has been crushed. He's been suffering in suffering that I can't even fathom or imagine. I don't even know if any of us can come close to have have suffered through what Job has suffered, and yet we all have our own Job-like suffering realities going on. And I would think this is the point in time that God would lovingly come along and and go, "Uh, uh, Job, let me just tell you, it's okay, and let me tell you here why I did this and why I allowed this and what's going on. I just want for you to know here, God sits him down and does doesn't say anything about what's happened, why it's happened, or anything about that. What does he do? God here in this point communicates, he conveys that he is a God of all power. Look at the text. Verse 4, God begins by Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have this understanding. Job, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or stretched the line upon it. Job, on what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? Job, verse 7, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who, Job? Let me just summarize. Look at verse 12. Job, have you? Verse 16. Job, have you? 18. Have you? 22, Job, have you or have you? Verse 24, what is Job? Verse 25, what has Job? Or or 28, has? Uh, Look at 29, from whose womb, Job? Uh, And who is given, has given birth, Job? Uh, You go on, Uh, verse 31, can you, Job? Can you or can you? Verse 33, do you, can you? Verse 34, can you, can you? Verse 36, who has, Job? Who can, verse 37, or who can? Verse 39, can you, Job? Or Job, verse 41, who provides for, Job? Man, I gotta tell you, it's the kind of thing after all the devastation. Wouldn't it be like, can I just have a hug? Listen, this isn't the kind of thing where God is stepping in and going like, I want to be cruel and I want to be harsh and I want to be hard on you. What is God doing? God is helping Job to reconsider. It's not even about the things on the table of the data of the events that took place. Job, you've lost sight of something. In all of this, Job, you've lost sight of something and let me help you remember what it is. You've lost sight of me and my power. And that's the thing you need to remember right now, Job. That's the thing. And by the way, we get to chapter 39, and there's another chapter to go. Verse 1, do you know? Do you observe? Verse 2, can you number? And do you know? Verse 5, who has? Who has, Job? Verse 10, can you? Verse 11, will you? Uh, Verse 12, do you? Verse 19, do you, Job? Do you clothe? Verse 20, do you make? Verse 26, it is by, is it by your understanding? Verse 27, is it at your command? By the way, all of these are coming back in so many ways to what God created. The one who spoke it is wanting us to reflect back and remember who spoke it and who leads it and who controls it and who has it. Chapter 40. And the Lord said to Job, 
Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? I would really encourage you to circle that right there. And when there are those days, when there are those times where we sit back, because we do, and we go, what up? Like, God, what up? Like, why would you allow that? Like, by the way, God, why would you even allow bad things to happen in our world? Well, God, why would, would you, if you're so great and so powerful, God, why would you allow sin to take place in our world? And God, why are you allowing what's happening in our world, in my home, around us? God, why aren't you? Listen, that, that's, that's fault finding. That's contending with the Almighty. And I'll just say this. Be very careful. Because we see in the Psalms where oftentimes the psalmist is writing exactly those. Like, God's what, God, what is up? And yet in the Psalms, you see it walks through the process coming out at the end where it's like, oh yeah, you are God, I'm not. And here we have this. Shall the fault finder contend with the Almighty? Again, it's the idea of power that is going on here. Who has the power? He who argues with God, let him answer it. And then Job answered the Lord and said, oh, I got a whole list of issues to lay out before you because what in the world are you doing? It doesn't say that in the text, by the way. But if I were Job, I think after what he just said in the last two chapters, I would be like, okay, but actually, you've kind of made me want to duke it out even more now. But look what Job, Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I love this image. I lay my hand on my mouth. Mm, mm, mm. I have spoken once. Job says, and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. This is power being weighed by Job. Job just heard God convey his power, and here Job is actually listening. Job is actually considering, and Job is weighing what God has just said, and he's coming out of thinking, you know what, none of this takes away the fact that my ten children are dead, None of this takes away the fact that all of my employees, my servants, are dead. None of this takes away the fact that my entire dynasty is gone and busted. But it does remind me, you are God and I am not. And then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and said, come here and give me a hug. Now it's really interesting because God's like, nope, Job, right answer, but I'm not done. Verse eight, Job, will you? Verse nine, have you? Have you an arm like God? Verse nine, and can you thunder with a voice like his? Verse 15, behold, Job, behold the behemoth. Verse 16, behold his strength. Verse 19, he is the first of the works of God. 
Let him who made him bring near his sword. Verse 23, behold. Verse 24, can you, Job? Chapter 41, can you? Verse 2, can you? Verse 7, can you? Verse 9, behold, Job. Verse 10, who then is? Verse 11, who has, Job? Uh, Verse 13, who can? Who would? Verse 14, who can? You got the picture. What is so amazing, again, about this is you read through it, you read through it, and God does not make reference about Job. I'm going to explain to you what went down in your situation. And I'm going to allow you insight into exactly what happened and that we're told about in Job chapter one. I'm gonna tell you this, I'm gonna explain this so that all things now make sense regarding your circumstance. None of that is said. In fact, Job, by the time we get to chapter 42, Job is told none of that. Job is giving no insight into any of his personal circumstances. All that Job is given is a gigantic dose of God's almightiness. And that was enough. Why do I say that was enough? Because look at chapter 42. Again, this idea of power weighed by Job. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Power. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. God, I know you're all powerful. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. No, you see, what's important there is Job just said, I knew these things. I knew these things, but now he's kind of saying, but I really didn't know these things. I might say, I knew the definitions, and I even knew the components, and I even could explain it all out. But, but that's one thing. But, but look at verse four. Hear and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. Verse five, here's the, here, here, here's the big one. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear. But now, but now, my eye sees you. God, I've heard about you. I would even say that I know you. I would even say that I know that you are all powerful. But God, God, after not only just everything has taken place, but God, after these two sit-downs of girding my loins, and letting you speak, oh my. I see you as the all-powerful, almighty God in a way I did not know. And look at his response. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ash. See, Job chapter one, a godly man, one of the most godly men on the face of the earth. And here he comes to this point where he's like, I thought I knew you. I thought I understand your, if I could say it, I thought I understand these handfuls of who you are. Now God, I'm understanding your power in a way that I've never understood it before. And what it does is it makes me understand that you are truly big. I am truly small. 
And out of that, realizing that I have been in a place where I have been power playing with you and on a tirade with you, God, over time, of which we all do, and it's time for me to repent of that and to, to confess and repent. You are all powerful. I am not, and I need to zip my lip. I want to encourage you this week to consider reading through these four chapters here at the end of Job. I just skimmed over them. And pull together what, what the Lord is conveying here. To, to, to grasp a hold of even this fact, it's been stunning for me, even this fact that God does not explain to Job any of his present circumstances and situations going on so that Job can look back at them and go, now I see how I can be good with it. None of that. It's purely about the aspect of coming to understand that God is all-powerful and you and I are not and we need to fall face down and repent of our power tirades. And that's hard to do. By the way, the end of Job, oftentimes the teaching of Job goes quickly into how the outcome is. That everything turned out really great. Job got like 10 times more than what he had before. And we're all like, oh, you see, it all works out for good. Um, If you had that conversation with Job, I think Job would go, I still greatly grieve my children every moment, every day. And it hurts to this day. And by the way, when Job repented and when Job made this statement, he had no idea what was coming. He isn't told that, Job, if you repent, then you're going to get... You see, in this whole subject of God's power, we oftentimes approach it to where it's like, okay, we see the God's power, and then we're like, I want a piece of that. Just whiffle dust some on me, will you, God? And it's like, listen, we're, we're, man, that is so just self-centered in it, and that's missing what's happened here in the text. Job isn't responding like, you're right, you're all powerful, and now I know that I'm, my business is going to even be bigger, and I'm going to have kids again, and I mean, it's all going to be good. Job doesn't know any of that. He just knows this. God is big. He is small. He needs to go face down and repent of his own pride. Even in the hell that he's been experiencing. And God, you are so big that I can trust you. Even when I'm in this moment struggling to trust you. So, Lord, I ask for your help. God, I ask for your help in our lives. We are small, and yet life is a big deal. We wrestle with things. God, I I just, even in this room, there are people who have been recently and who are presently going through some heavy, hard, Job-like scenarios for them.
And God, I think what would be fitting for today is I would pray that the Spirit of God would use the Word of God to give them increased insight into the almightiness of who you are, into the grandness, into the greatness of who you are. And God, we quickly want to go to the issue of please then therefore relieve us, please therefore remove the heavy and the hard. But you had Job sit down twice, and I think sometimes we need to do the same. Instead of moving on to how, how to apply it now, I think the way we need to apply it is just to sit in it. Face down, hands up. God, I pray for those who are going through those times right now where they're just feeling discouraged and desperate and crushed even as they look back in this last week, they fully realize that they have been pushing with you and in a power play with you and angry with you. And Lord, we understand that and you understand that. We're weak. God, I would pray that you would work in them that they might even come and repent of the power play. You would give them encouragement and nourishment and refreshment in who you are. That even if they don't know why, even if they don't know what's coming next, that they would just rest and sit in you, the eternal, triune, self-existent, self-sufficient, all-present, all-powerful God. Lord, I would pray that would be the case for all of us. Refresh us. Help us. Restore us. Oh God, you are the all-powerful one. You are the almighty one. You are the great I am. And in that we sit. In your name.